I have used this slide the first two weeks. We're in week three, and I'm going to continue to use it throughout the series as just sort of a, a preface for what we're talking about here, because when we hear the word church, we might think of different things. We might think of church as a, a building. Uh, we might think of church as an event. Uh, we could think of church as an organization or an institution. And then, of course, we can think of the church as a community. And uh, this is where we're at, where we've uh, gone so far. God's plan for the world is where we started. It's simply, simply uh, retracing sort of the foundations of our faith. How did we even get to the point where we needed the church? And we looked at uh, the, the fall, and, and we looked at Old Testament history and, and the sacrificial system that never lived up to, uh, to what it needed to, and why Christ needed to come and his sacrifice was needed for us. Last week, we talked about what is the church, and that word is ecclesia. We defined that, and we looked at that in Scripture uh, to see exactly what it means. And today, we're talking about the leadership of the church, or uh, depending on your church background, elders, deacons, there's different words that we use, but we'll uh, get to look at that here in a moment. I think the obvious place to start here is Christ and the church. Um, who here likes the word of God? I hope everybody raises their hand. Okay. I'm going to test that today. Um, I'm going to test that with some of the scriptures that I, that I read and put before you. And I'm also going to test that because today is very, very scripture heavy. As I was preparing this week, with the attitudes that we have towards leadership in general, again, in the church, in our communities, in our governments, I didn't want to be up here saying what Corey thinks about leadership. And I wanted to walk you through what the New Testament says about leadership. And then, depending on my time, um, I'm going to take some questions at the end if there's something that I covered that you want to ask about, something that I didn't cover, that I want to ask about, and I'll just direct all those questions to Dick, since he's not up here giving the message. <laughs> so, we need to start with Christ and the church. And so, uh, you'll see some bullet points here. These are different ways that Christ is referenced in the New Testament as it pertains to the church. And remember from last week, the church is the body of believers. That's us. That's what is made up of the church. Paul calls us saints and other places, but it's the, the body of Christ. It's the people that make it up. And so we see that Christ is called the head of the body, the head of us. We see that he's called a king or a conqueror, a ruler. We, we know the word sovereign means that he's overall, that he's in charge. We're also, uh, we also see in the New Testament that he's the prophet, all right? So he's uh, proclaimed God and his purpose purposes. That's what a prophet uh, does. We see that most often in the Old Testament. Prophets call for repentance, which we see uh, Jesus do. And then there's also prophecy. There, that prophecy meaning foretelling things to come. We see him called the high priest. And if you'll remember from the first week as we talked about sort of 
the Old Testament sacrificial system, you might recall that the priest's primary responsibility was to take an animal that was from one of the people and offer that to God. We would, we would cut their throats, they would bleed out, we would put them on the altar for a burnt offering and, and offer this fragrant smell up to God. And so that's what the priests did in the Old Testament, and we see that Christ is the high priest. Finally, we see him called the chief shepherd. And so a shepherd means that it's one that's going to care for the flock, the flock being the body, the flock being uh, the people. And and shepherds uh, direct the sheep where to go and where not to go. They feed the sheep, and they also protect the sheep. And I'm going to cruise through some scriptures here. I don't know, about a month ago or so, we started putting uh, these slides online, so don't feel like you have to take pictures or anything like that, because there's going to be a lot. But again, I wanted to base this on what scripture says and not what I think. And so you're going to see a series of scriptures here that just unpack everything that I just told you. Ephesians 1.22 says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. So God put Christ in this position, head over all things to the church. Ephesians 5.23 says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Colossians 1.18, And he, Christ, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Colossians 1.13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So there we see him as king. Philippians 2 verses 9 through 11 Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's in charge of all. Revelation seventeen fourteen says, They will make war on the Lamb, And the Lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. Deuteronomy 18.15 says this, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. So way back in the Old Testament, this is Moses writing Deuteronomy. He's prophesying about one to come, that a prophet will be raised up like him. Matthew 21, 11, and the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. 1 Timothy 2, 5, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. First Peter 2.5, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices accepted to God through Jesus Christ. This is the, the priestly 
reference, as a spiritual sacrifice. Ephesians 5, 2, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. From the book of John, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Protector gives himself up, and I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. First Peter 5.4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And so, like I said, I wanted to set the stage here. How does this build? All right, we looked at the Old Testament references the first week. Last week, we looked specifically at the word church and everything that that encompasses. How do we get to where we are now? Like the, the leadership, where, where did it come from? And it starts with Christ, as we can clearly see there. One area that we can uh, probably not purposely skip over, but, but skip over, I would assume, more unintentionally, and we talked a little bit about this two years or so ago when we went through Ephesians, is that we are built on an apostolic foundation. So the apostles, the, the original 12 minus Judas, and then uh, the, the apostles, right? So that's who we, we are built off. So Christ poured in to the disciples, into the apostles. He empowered them, uh, gave them their spiritual gifts through the Holy Spirit and all of that. And then it comes from the apostles to us because the apostles gave us the word of God through the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're built on, the word of God through the Holy Spirit. And a few things that we see from this apostolic foundation is that it's the foundation of the church. It's the original church. It's the original of people that started the body of Christ. And we see in Scripture that Christ is the cornerstone of this foundation. Uh, we see that they're commissioned by Christ. And what it means to be an apostle, uh, capital A, uh, apostle just simply means a sent one. Capital A would mean uh, that they were in close proximity to his earthly ministry and that they were an eyewitness of his resurrection. Okay, so some of our New Testament authors fit that, and some of them don't. As I said, this means a messenger or sent one. They're messengers of Christ. They're carrying his authority. They've been empowered to do this. They're preaching the gospel. And then as we sit here today and, and, and on down the line back into the past, to the, to the first century church, we're standing on Christ and the apostles' foundation. And scripture tells us that that is unshakable. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and, and sojourners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, that's the body, and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, the prophets being Old Testament, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being joined together is growing into a holy sanctuary in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So we have Christ, we have the apostles, and the church that grows 
from it. A few verses out of Galatians. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. And so Paul wasn't just walking around and saying, hey, I'm an apostle, listen to me, and I'm going to write some stuff and you have to pay attention to it and obey it. Not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. For I would have for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. First John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 uh, says this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. So this is the Apostle John. Concerning the word of life, the life that was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, made manifest to the apostles. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Again, the foundation we see Christ, the apostles, and them giving it on, and the church building from that. So local church leadership, local church leadership. Now, depending on your church background, some of these terms may be familiar, some of them may not. I'm going to try and work through as much as I can of that as possible, and, and there is simply not enough time, especially in one message, to hit every single nook and cranny of this. So that's why I was hoping to finish with enough time to take a few questions uh, if those were there. So church elders and then deacons. My primary focus today is going to be on elders, uh, but one of the passages that we'll look, like, look at extends into uh, the qualifications of deacons. And so without being able to spend a ton of time on that, there's similar qualifications. Deacons, primarily what we see in the New Testament would be the doers, right? Steve is, is out in the lobby right now, and, and he's uh, the, the building and grounds deacon, among other things. And that means that, that he's got a responsibility and takes the initiative to do things around the building, like snow removal with the season that we're in now. So these are the different categories that I want to look at. I want to look at a definition and sort of the, uh, a definition of elder, and then where does this appointment come from? Does somebody just stand up and say, hey, I'm an elder, or is there some sort of a process to it? We'll look at the qualifications, the responsibilities, the level of authority, and then the congregational role as it pertains to church leadership. I can't remember if I've shown this before. Um, for me, this does an incredible job of capturing something that we might not be familiar with, again, especially depending on what our church background is. So I want you to see, Walter, does this have the laser thing? Is that the little green dash? There we go. All right, so you got three circles here. For those of you that don't know, this is called a Venn diagram. Um, 
So we've got over here to the left, elder or, or presbyter. You see the Greek here, or at least our, uh, the, the English version of the, of, of, the, of the Greek word. And we see the scriptures that we see that word used in. So 1 Timothy 5.17, James 5.14. Now that's the most common word, at least in today's church, that we hear uh, uh, elder. We don't really hear presbyter, but that, that word is where uh, the Presbyterian denomination comes from this. Down here, you see the word overseer or bishop. For those of you that might have some Catholic background, the word bishop might be somewhat familiar to you. And you see those scriptures here and also here. So these two overlap. Titus, 5, Titus 1, 5 through 7 uses this word and this word. And over here, pastor, shepherd. Pastor and shepherd are the same word in Scripture. We don't probably think about it that way in our modern context, but pastor and shepherd is the same thing. We only see that one time used in the New Testament, and that's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. 1 Peter 2.25 hints at this same thing, and of course, here in the middle is where all three of these terms overlap. And so what I want you to take away from this right here is that some churches, some denominations will teach that these are different offices in a church, in the leadership structure. They can do whatever they want to do. I don't see it that way in the New Testament. I think it's very clear when you put it in a form like this, that this is three different ways of describing the same office, but it's talking about slightly different things. So elder here would indicate maturity. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a moment. Overseer or bishop would be exactly what it sounds like. You're overseeing the tasks and administration and those sorts of things. And then pastor or shepherd, again, is exactly what it sounds like. It's taking care of the flock, taking care of the body of Christ. So that would be uh, elder, pastor, shepherd, overseer, defined. What about appointment? Where does this come from? So we have Christ as the foundation. We have the apostles. And as the apostles went out and started to plant churches in their, uh, in their missionary journeys, Paul and others, they would come to these places, gather a group of people together, and the apostles had other things to go do other churches, to go plant, to take the gospel further. And so what they did would be appoint elders in every church, in every place that they would walk through. Acts 14.23 says, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so this is an appointment coming from Leadership, which originally would have come from the apostles as they were taking the gospel out. Titus 1.5, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Again, this is Paul's authority to Titus to do this appointment. That would cover eldership. This may be a passage that you're familiar with. I included this because I didn't want to totally neglect 
deacons, but we see uh, where deacons come from here in Acts 6. So this is the, the early church, right? They're still figuring things out. There's lots of work to do. There's lots of figuring out to do. And so this is uh, early on kind of figuring out how do we do all of these things and still take care of all of the needs. Now, in those days, while the disciples were multiplying in number, there was grumbling from the Hellenists against the Hebrews. Those are Greek Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. And so some needs weren't being taken care of. And so the 12, that's the apostles, summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it is not pleasing to God for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. And so that might sound a little off-putting to you, like uh, the apostles were above serving. Um, that's a rabbit trail that I don't have time to go down. Um, but let's just trust here that, that they were developing a leadership structure that was God-ordained and Holy Spirit-inspired. So they said, Therefore, brothers, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of spirit and wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this need. But we, the apostles, will devote ourselves to prayer and to service of the word. And so what? might initially sound like, oh, taking care of widows and feeding people is, is beneath us, isn't really it at all. They understood what their calling was, what God had given them to do. Remember Jesus, when he's encountering a people as he walked from village to village, how many times do we remember Jesus saying, I know what my purpose is, I know what God sent me to do. It's a similar kind of thing here. And this word pleased the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, and it goes on, and, and the word kept spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to multiply greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were coming obedient to the faith. So one way we might think about this is that we can't do everything, right? One person can't do everything, or even a group of 12 can't do everything. Oh, this reminds me of a story in the Old Testament uh, Moses is in the wilderness, and there's, I, I don't know, two million people, I, I think, if I remember correctly. Somebody can correct me on that afterwards. Um, all of these people are coming to Moses. And I mean, it's nonstop from dawn until dusk, people coming to Moses for all kinds of things. Moses' is, uh, father-in-law, Jethro, says to him, Moses, you can't keep doing this. You're going to wear yourself out, and you're not really taking care of the people because you are so overwhelmed with people coming to you for all of these requests. And so Jethro told him that he needed to divide the leadership structure into uh, tens and hundreds and thousands so that these things could be disseminated out and people could be taken care of the way that they needed to. And that's an Old Testament version of, of what we see here. But this is really the establishment of deacons. We see deacons as sort of the the doers of the tasks of the church, and in this case, taking care of widows and, and, and food dissemination. Eldership qualifications. Now, there are some things that are sprinkled in other places, but primarily we get this from two places, of 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7, and Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. And it, this is two passages 
uh, that primarily uh, is the reason that I don't want to be standing up here delivering this message. Um, this is incredibly humbling to read passages like this, and uh, it certainly isn't lost on me, the weight and the expectation in church leadership. But let me, let me read here. It is a trustworthy saying. So this is Paul talking to his protege, Timothy, a younger pastor. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a good work. And so the first thing that we need to see there is that there is a calling placed on our life for church leadership. This isn't just plucking somebody and saying, there you go, let's lead. It says, if someone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a good work. That means there's a calling on that person's life. An overseer then must be above reproach, and I'll touch on that more in a moment. The husband of one wife, temperate, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but considerate, peaceable, free from the love of money, leading his own household well, having his children in submission with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to lead his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation of the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. It's a pretty easy list to check those boxes, isn't it? Man. One that usually draws lots of attention is this husband of one wife. Again, depending on what your church background was, is, or uh, different denominations that you might be associated with, or different types of teaching, you've probably heard everything from you can't be divorced to this is talking about polygamy and all of that. Again, I don't have time to completely unpack this, but what I will say is this. If we looked at this entire list, and we'll get to Titus here in a second, it's very similar. If we looked at this entire list, is this primarily talking about like our skills and our talents? This is talking about our character, okay? And so when we see something like husband of one wife, that doesn't automatically exclude you from church leadership if you have a, a divorce in your past. I mean, if you were married to multiple Oh, women, then that would exclude you because there's other places in the Bible that would call that sexual immorality, and so that's just really a non-starter. What this is talking about is that you're devoted to the wife that you have, that you're a one-woman man, if we look at it in the Greek, literally, a one-woman man. You have eyes for no other. Your wife is the only one that you see desire, and are devoted to. Titus is going to sound similar. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders. We covered that in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is beyond reproach, the husband of one wife, having faithful children who are not accused of dissipation or rebelliousness, uh, for the overseer, we're starting to see some of those other words from that diagram, must be beyond reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of dishonest gain, but hospitable, 
loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, and self-controlled. Again, a really easy list to check all of the boxes. I highlighted in both passages the above reproach thing. I wanted to point out two things. First, you'll see that in both lists of qualifications, that comes at the top. What we might think of above reproach as is sort of this umbrella over everything that comes underneath it. Okay, so it's sort of it's the first filter, the first lens. So what does beyond reproach, above reproach means? It means that elders are perfect, right? No. Diana, you want to come up and talk about that? Okay. So if we looked at the, the standard definition in the dictionary, it says uh, reproach as shame or disgrace or that which brings rebuke or censure upon a person. So as we take that into the church or a church leadership, it would be, are there behaviors, are there actions that would, be, that would bring uh, a shame and disgrace on the church, on the church body. And of course, there's all sorts of ways that we could unpack that. One easy way to think about it is, is about integrity. Are you doing, are you leading with integrity? Are you leading your flock with integrity? Do you say what you mean and then do what you say? Is that the same thing that you carry uh, out into the workplace, out into the community, out with non-believers? Are you respectable? Are you hospitable? Uh, one other thing that, that I liked, uh, what it said, uh, being above reproach means that no one can honestly bring a charge or accusation against him. And so that's where that little you don't have to be perfect part comes in. I have no doubt that at some point in time, I have made Sean mad in some way, shape, or form. And if I haven't, I'll probably do it tomorrow or Wednesday morning, okay? So that's not what we're talking about here with above reproach. We're not always going to get along. We're not always going to agree on everything. Being above reproach means that no one can honestly bring a charge or accusation against him. Another place it talks about if there's an accusation brought against an elder, that it couldn't just be Sean saying, hey, bad Corey. It would need to be Sean and Matt and Joe. I'm calling you yet, Joe. Right? Two or three witnesses or more with this accusation. Now, some of you have probably been around uh, church situations where it was volatile. Uh, I'm not going to get into it, but that's in this church's history as well. It's probably in every church, and if it hasn't been, it will be at some point in the future because we're all human, and as humans, we're sinful, even in church leadership, and we're all coming together uh, trying to unify as the body of Christ, and that can be a, a very difficult thing to do. Mentioned this a moment ago, so character is the primary concern. It's not about 
skills or aptitudes or, or, or those sorts of things. It's about character primarily. A few common questions, and I covered this first one already, does an elder have to be perfect? No. Uh, does an elder have to be older? Uh, I'm not going to go back there because I'll probably lose my place, but that Venn diagram, you saw under the word elder that it means mature. All right? Now, some of you might be thinking or some of you might be watching, well, I'm 60, that means I'm mature, that means I'm elder quality. Age does not beget maturity. It might mean that you have more experience, but you might not be mature. And so Paul tells Timothy in another place that don't be looked down upon because of your age, because you're younger, because Timothy had shown the maturity and Paul had been raising him up. And so ideally, we would have maturity. We would have some gray hair, and that's who would make up eldership, but that can't always be the case. Our makeup in the church body as we sit here today at LSCC, from 45 and above, there's not a ton of dudes in our church that, that check that box, that are called to it and meet the qualifications and all of that stuff. And so what do you do? If you have to, you turn to younger believers that have shown themselves worthy and mature. It's also part of my job as a pastor here and the elder's job to train people up in these things that we've been talking about. Is the role of an elder open to both men and women? And I see that it's 1050, so I'm going to answer this and we'll come back to it at some later time, or you can ask me about it after the message is over. Clearly in Scripture, uh, the role of elder is specifically said and designed for men. That's what it says. Husband of one wife, not wife of one husband. And that's just to use one example. Now, I know in the culture that we live in, if you hopped on Instagram right now or you read the news or some article that even claimed itself to be Christian, you're probably going to get a different answer than that. We're always supposed to go back to this. And I'm going to touch on that here in a minute. But that's not just my responsibility. That's all of our responsibilities in the body of Christ to rightly parse the word of God. And the word of God is clear on this from the very beginning. This whole concept of leadership of men and women, two genders, yes, I said that out loud, is in Genesis, it's in the beginning of the Bible, and it goes all the way through, and it pertains to church leadership as well. Eldership responsibilities, Acts 20, verses 28 through 31, and there is much more that I could say about this, but these two passages capture it pretty well. So eldership responsibilities, be on guard for yourselves and for the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherds. So we see overseers and shepherds. Remember that from that diagram. The church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. 
wolf in sheep's clothing. Does that remind you of that? Therefore, be watchful, excuse me, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. There is a big charge on our plate as church leadership. Uh, admonish each one with, with tears. Now that means it's our whole selves that's, that we're pouring into it. And that when something happens to you or when something happens to the body, it's like happening to me and each one of us. First Peter uh, chapter 5, the first four verses says this, Therefore, I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder, this is Peter, fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ. There's that apostolic connection there, witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, overseeing not under compulsion, but willingly, according to God, and not for dishonest gain, but with eagerness nor yet as lording it over those allotted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. I know there are pastors out there and churches out there where dudes will do whatever they can to get up on stage and be the pastor of a church. I have yet to figure out why that is. Because this is no walk in the park or picnic. And I don't know exactly what I would be lording over you or anyway. And again, I'm not trying to discount anyone's previous experiences in church because I read a lot and I know that there's a lot of this out there. I just don't really understand it. And so this is very clearly articulating what my responsibility is as an elder. Titus 1 holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and to reprove those who contradict. So you remember that, that passage from Acts 6 that we kind of was a little off-putting at first, like feeding uh, and taking care of orphans was beneath us. Not at all. Again, go back to what their calling was. Go back to what uh, Christ empowered them to do. Primarily, it's this, hold fast the faithful word, which is in accordance to the teaching, so that we'll be able to exhort in sound doctrine. Doctrine just means teaching and to reprove those who contradict. So one of the primary responsibilities of an elder is to know this and to be one with this as much as possible so that we can teach and reprove or uh, push back when we need it, when we hear things that are off. Be imitators of Christ. Uh, Christ established these responsibilities and expectations. A level of authority. So we see in many of the scriptures that we've already read, I'm not going to put up um, uh, more references there, and if, if they weren't in ones that I already gave, they will be in, in ones in a moment. So elders are to rule, that's what it says, and that just simply means to preside or, or maintain or oversee. And what are we ruling over? A God's word through teaching slash doctrine and prayer. We saw that in Acts 6. 
A part of our responsibility is to determine the roles within the congregation, exactly what happened in Acts 6 with the deacons. We need to worry about this and focus on this. We're going to need you to do that. Oversee the work of the local congregation. Each body, like LSCC, is going to be a little bit unique in the things that we're gifted to do and and, and the things that, that we feel called to do as a collective body. And the elders uh, are to oversee the work of the local congregation, whatever that would encompass. And then all areas that would be watching over the souls of our people. And so if I'm aware of something as a a, a member of church leadership that that is contrary to, to Scripture, that would be against clear Christian doctrine. I have an obligation as a church leader to have a conversation with someone. Does that mean that they have to do whatever is said or suggested? No, but I have an obligation to do that as a church leader. Now we're to you guys. Role of the congregation. You're going to see some words here you're going to cringe at, but these are scriptural Don't kill the messenger. Honor and esteem the elders. Imitate their elders. Obey, there's that four-letter O word, obey that we don't like. Submit to their elders. And watch over the teaching purity and unity of the church. 1 Timothy 5.17 says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Very quickly, Uh, It's considered an honorable position to be an elder. Uh, Dick would be considered a lay elder in our church polity. Uh, I would be considered an elder worthy of double honor because I'm on staff. Double honor simply means that I'm making enough wage to do this full time. Uh, There's a little more to it than that, but that's basically the gist of it. And it's especially for those for of preaching and teaching. First uh, Thessalonians 5 says this, we ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. I had a note on this one, I think. Notice how this is said. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you. It begs the question, why would it be said this way? Well, it's because it's hard for us to respect leadership in the church or otherwise. Because we always think that we know better, right? There's a phrase that I use with my oldest daughter that she hates, and she's probably watching now, so I'll get a text message. You don't know what you don't know. And so when we don't know what we don't know, we think that we know, and we think that we can do it better. And so what's happening here, Paul's admonishing them to say, hey, respect those that are in leadership. God has put them in charge over the flock. 
be at peace among yourself. Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Remember your leaders. This is Hebrews 13. Those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So imitate their faith. This is another couple of verses that are difficult ones to stand up on a stage and say to a group of people because I'm not sure how much I want to be imitated most of the time. 2 Timothy 3, you, however, know all about my teaching. Again, this is Paul, his sort of closing discourse uh, to Timothy, who he's brought up. You know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, and sufferings. Oh, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, uh, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions that I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and what you have become convinced of, because you know those from who you learned it. So Timothy watched Paul as an example, and each one of those things, purpose, faith, persecutions, and Paul's telling him to imitate me. Why? Imitate me as I am of Christ. And that's what Paul was doing. He's imitating Christ and he's displaying that for his disciples, such as Timothy and Titus. Hebrews 13, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy and not a burden for that would be of no advantage to you. I love what I do immensely, and I feel honored to be able to wake up every day and, and, and be a pastor. But if I'm being honest, I can't always say that it's a joy and not a burden. I mean, there's a burden of church leadership that's always there, but it's not always a joy. Most of the time, because we argue about petty things, that paint color, this carpet, why are the flags there? Why isn't the cross that? What about that coffee? Those kinds of things. That does not bring me joy. If we're having conversations about scripture, about theology, about doctrinal concerns, about taking care of the body of Christ, even in the hard stuff, that still brings us joy because that's what we're supposed to be doing. That's what we've been called to do. I am astonished that you, so this is Paul's letter to the Galatians. He's writing to the church of Galatia, that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, you foolish Galatians. I'm using this as a reference to say, Each one of us that calls Christ our Lord and Savior is responsible for how we live and how we walk out our faith. This is not just to Galatians, uh, the church in Galatia's uh, elders. This is to the entire church in Galatia. This makes it even more clear. Maybe you've heard about the Bereans now, the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness. Man, they're leaning into the word. They can't get enough of it and examine the scriptures every day to see what. If what Paul said was true, 
Paul's their teacher. And so instead of sitting back and being passive and saying, oh, well, Paul said it, so it must be true, they're taking the word in with eagerness and they're examining the scriptures to make sure that what Paul said was true. I've said this before. I'll say this plenty more times in the future. You should not just take my word for the things that are set up here. Now, there's a little less wiggle room when I use this much scripture like I have today because I've put it in front of you. But you should be scouring the Bible for the topics that we talk about to see if what I'm delivering to you is true and accurate to the word of God. That is not just my responsibility as a teacher. That's your responsibility as the body of Christ. There's a mutual accountability that takes place between the two of us. That I'm doing this uh, humbly and, and honorably and with integrity, and that you guys are the checks and balances uh, with the teaching and the doctrine and those kinds of things. It's a responsibility that we share together. Wow. Y'all are giving me a lot of grace today. This is what we've covered. Everybody know it 100% now? Yeah? Um, this obviously could be a, a sermon series all of its own uh, to unpack these things. Um, I know that that was rapid fire of a subject that's a big thing. The funny thing is, at least for me, is that I think that we overcomplicate it. Because I didn't see too much of those scriptures that were, I wonder what it means. I mean, when we unpack it that way and we look at Christ as the foundation of the church who handed over to the apostles who have written it down and handed it down the ages to where you and I sit today, there's not a lot there that's confusing. And we might say, well, my interpretation of this is, or I don't like that, but that's a different thing. So we have to be really careful of that. We have to start with Scripture. What does Scripture say? And go from there. Sometimes that doesn't feel good. So I know that we're over time, and I don't know what Rob's going to do with the worship set, because I want to give you a get-out-of-jail-free card here if you have to go somewhere, but... What questions do you have? Somebody ask something, please. I've never done this before. Mona Jean? Do you, have a qu you don't have a question? It's, it's back there. No questions? Is it just because you want to get out of here? All right. Okay. Well, I'm not going to force it up. We have three. All right. There's no um, me, Dick, and Joel Asher, who's not here today. Uh, Walter sits in those meetings as um, an associate pastor. We bring people in as needed, depending on the topic uh, for 
you know, certain circumstances or maybe they have a specialty or knowledge about a certain thing. Um, you've heard us talk about this in core meetings. There's sort of a second tier of leadership that we would lean on. Vince would be one for missions. Uh, Kevin and Pete are here uh, that we pull in and ask things about. They also help lead the Sunday morning Bible study. And so there's sort of a second tier of leadership that will also bounce things off of as needed. Um, to our to our very best, we don't do anything in a vacuum. We try and be as transparent as possible with everything, and that's one of the reasons that we started the core meetings there two years ago, so that all of the church happenings are put in front of you guys if you if you attend. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for uh, the grace of, of the body here at LSCC this morning for extra time. Uh, God, I don't uh, take that lightly, but this topic that we covered today is a very big and a very important one, especially as we talk about uh, what the church is, what it's designed as, what we're uh, supposed to do, not just as leadership, but as the body of Christ. Lord, I pray as we worked through those scriptures that we have a clear understanding of, of the foundation of the church, that it's built on Christ and his sacrifice, that he empowered uh, the apostles to carry the message forward, that they were empowered again with the Holy Spirit, and that that has carried on down through the ages uh, to us today. And we have that through uh, holy scriptures, through God's word, and we poke and we prod and we read and we ask questions so that we can learn more, uh, just like we read about with the Bereans. Lord, I pray if, if there was any confusion with any of these topics because of the speed in which I did it, uh, that through your Holy Spirit that will become a clear as that's thought about or maybe rewatched. I pray for a boldness in asking questions if those exist. Lord, I just lift this body up to you, leadership included, uh, that our only want, our only desire is to follow after you and to be imitators of you, uh, to see where you're clearly moving and join with you in that pursuit uh, to spread uh, your word, to spread your gospel. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Be sure to stay up to date with the latest information at lscc.tv. While you're there, click on Connect to find a way to get more involved at LSCC or learn about how to put your talents to work in one of our ministries. If you've been blessed by this podcast and call LSCC home, consider supporting LSCC financially by going to lscc.tv give. Big or small, every gift helps us in our mission to love God, love others, and be the church in our mission field, near and far. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you back next week.